Okay, now, you know, this last week and this week, you know, or Jared and I's first week's not back at church. We were here during July in the middle of Boomerang. But, you know, pastors that haven't talked for a month, danger, danger. <laughs> so, are you ready? <laughs> I was hot, sweaty, and tired. And I had just finished the final set of weighted floor exercises, when the coach, AJ, you see here in the picture, stopped right in front of me, corrected my form, and proceeded to have me do another complete set of the same thing. And now, using correct form, of course. Now, I received his correction outwardly, but inwardly, what was I saying? I was saying, catch me a little sooner next time, buddy, when I haven't just finished the set. That's what I was going through my mind, was why do they always do this right at the end? So we've all experienced correction in our lives, different forms of it. In fact, with the advent of cybernet, you know, with the advent of the computer and internet and all of that, we are living in an ocean of feedback. Much of it's corrective. And when you say the word correction, I don't know what comes to mind, but the first thing that came to my mind was the red pen. So you need your red pen, and you need this in hand uh, in the next few minutes. So this red pen, because each year, every school child comes home with as many as 300 assignments, tests, or papers they've written, and they have the beautiful red ink on them. Okay, giving them their score, marking what's wrong, changing words, correcting spelling, you know the drill. Well, maybe though your kids have auditioned for a play or tried out for a sports team, and there will literally be millions of kids doing that this year. Now, more of them for sports teams than for drama, right? Because there's so many different sports now. But putting yourself out there for an audition is an invitation for feedback, for correction. And then there's the SATs and the ACTs. You know, that's the college entrance exams that the students have to do. And we have a whole slew of kids going into their senior year. And I was talking to a mom this week. And she was a little chagrined that her son wasn't more excited about preparing for his SATs. Any parent felt that pain, right? So 2 million kids will experience an SAT where their learning is evaluated, get their scores, and it'll help determine whether they're accepted or rejected by the college of their dreams. That's feedback. That's correction. And there are over 40 million people this year are going to subject themselves to dating online where you put yourself out there for millions of other people to see and get sized up. Places like eHarmony or ChristianMatch.com at all. And then there's the performance review, okay? How many of you in your lifetime have experienced a performance review on some job or another? Yeah, I should say, how many of you have experienced one from your parents? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) had a few of those as well. Almost everybody has in some form, but I kind of like this one. That's what I'd like to do. Two thumbs up, right? You wish it was that simple. But there's a form to follow, and This year, 50 to 90% of the people in the workforce, depending on their role, will experience a performance review. And that's an opportunity to be corrected. It's an opportunity for evaluation. It's also an opportunity for good feedback, encouragement, and the stuff we like to get. But the truth is, we're swimming. No matter what our story is, we're swimming in an ocean of feedback. And a lot of it is corrective. And we want to answer today, so what do you do with that? 
And our big idea is this, that we want to embrace correction because welcoming it leads to life and refusing it hurts you and others. Even when the packaging is flawed, it helps us to embrace it and welcome it. So now you've got your red pen in hand, and you're going to have to humor me with this. Red pen in one hand, noisemaker in the other. And on the count of three, I'm going to ask everybody to wave the red pen and blow the horn, the noisemaker. You ready? One, two, three. Okay. Now, a lot of people who know me know I love noisemakers and partying, but that is not why I did this. I wanted you to have a visceral experience that is a representative or representation of how God wants us to welcome correction. He doesn't expect us to respond with a party response, but welcoming it, seeing it like a celebration, like something to welcome in our lives. And so we did that because he wants us to see correction as an opportunity for us to become more like Jesus. And that's his plan for us all along. That's his top priority for each one of us. And he also wants us to be able to love people better, including ourselves. And that's what it's all about as well. And those are things that I could really get behind and celebrate, not only in my own life, but in your life. So what do we mean when we use the word correction? Well, I think it's important to also to begin by talking about what correction doesn't mean. And this may bring a sense of relief to some of you when you understand these three ideas. Let's briefly mention what correction is not. First of all, it's not criticism or condemnation. You see, criticism and condemnation focus slow, solely on delivering a judgment. There is no future. It is solely in delivering a judgment to the person. That's what marks it. Secondly, it is not complaining because complaining focuses solely on the past. There is no future in a complaint, right? It's always about what has happened. And thirdly, correction that we're talking about today is not bullying, focused on personal power and control and diminishing other people. So those are the things it is not. So let's talk about what it is. Well, there's this big umbrella word under which correction falls, which is called feedback. Feedback's the big word that means a lot of things because it can include appreciation and thanks and encouragement and all sorts of things like that. It's a big word, but underneath that, underneath that is correction. And feedback is any information about past behavior that's delivered in the present which may influence future behavior. May influence future behavior. Smart word there. Correction now that we're talking about is a subset of that. And it's feedback from God or others about ourselves that calls for changes to make something right or better. Improve it. So being corrected, though, is or maybe a difficult experience, particularly harder sometimes than others. It's kind of like biting into a whole orange, rind and all. Oh. It's a mixed bag, isn't it? Because inside is this sweet fruit. But to get to it, you have to have it delivered to you in this package that is not so tasty to eat. And I know some people do it, but they do it by blending it with sweet, tasty things. So... 
receiving feedback can be a lot like that, like biting an orange with the rinds still on it. But you know what? God gets this. He said it first. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, the 11th verse, he had the writer of the Hebrews write this, all discipline, that's the New Testament word, by the way, twin to our Old Testament word, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I've always liked the way that verse ends. Well, there's three parts to our talk today. First, we want to take a look at what God has to say about correction. And it's going to be a fast and furious survey through the book of Proverbs. I just want to warn you on that. You probably noticed that on your outlines. And then we want to look at three roadblocks to correction, to embracing it in our lives. And then we want to look at five tips for actually receiving feedback. That's where we're going. You guys ready? Okay. Well, God has a lot to say about correction, and what my prayer has been is that his word, which is able to cut between soul and spirit, discern between our intentions and our thoughts, you know, his word gets in where no person can, and just praying that it'll really motivate each one of us to embrace the red pen moments in our life. And so, let's take a look at God's wisdom on correction. First of all, the Hebrew word for correction in all the passages we're going to look at is the same. It's pronounced musar. Chastisement, reproof, warning, instruction, discipline, rebuke, you name it, it's included in there. You see, this word is really what I call a stew of meanings. It can be as simple as being told that you've disappointed someone. It's being scolded or reprimanded for something that you've done or told to do something over again with instructions on how it could be done right. It's also being called out for your behavior or your attitude and then coached on what it should look like. It can also be a warning for something that you've already done that you better not do again, or it can be a favored warning, which is warning me before I do it, right? That kind of thing. Correction, this word includes all of those meanings. So with that in mind, let's take a stab. You're ready to dive into Proverbs. Proverbs, the first set of scriptures I want to look at, talk to us about how we respond to correction matters now and later in our lives. So let's look at that letter A. Refusing correction leads to trouble, and there will be regret. Proverbs 5 in the message, verses 11 through 14, say this. You don't want to end your life full of regrets, nothing but sin and bones, saying, oh, why didn't I do what they told me? Why did I reject a disciplined life? Why didn't I listen to my mentors or take my teachers seriously? My life is ruined. I don't have one blessed thing to show for my life. That's a lament, isn't it? Yeah. This passage is talking about a person in its context who ignores God's wisdom and gets involved in adultery. And if you're newer to faith or just haven't heard that term, that's when somebody who's married has sex with somebody other than their spouse. It's called adultery. And this person did this even though others tried to correct him and teach him the way, a better way. And what it tells us about correction is this. There will be regret if you repeatedly refuse it. 
Verse 11 in the NIV says it this way, at the end of your life, you will groan. And this term is used elsewhere for the cry of someone who's poor and destitute and at the end of their rope and distressed in every way. And it conveys a primal cry of anguish as in, oh, when the guilty person finds themselves destitute and knows that they could have done something different. Your flesh and your body are spent is how the NIV ends that set of verses. And this underscores the fact that he's trying to warn us. At the end of your life, if you repeatedly refuse correction, you're going to be exhausted, fully exhausted. And my bottom line for that is this. It will cost us if we refuse correction, if we ignore it repeatedly. Letter B, heeding correction leads to life and protects you from things that don't. Proverbs 6.23, for this lamp is, for this command is a lamp, this teaching is a light, and correction and instruction are the way to life. I have little short ways of saying this. Heeding correction is a security system for your well-being. Many people want to have those for their home, but have you ever thought about it? Just for your, it protects us, watches over us. Letter C, loving correction makes us smart, and hating it makes us stupid. Okay, I said the S word. My mom's not here this weekend. I can do that. S word was not good in our household. But here, it's entirely appropriate. Listen to what Proverbs 12 says. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. And if you want to improve and grow, then we have to come to a place of accepting correction and learning from it. And to refuse it, it uses this word stupid or brutish, but it's this Hebrew word, ba'ar, that's used to describe a dumb animal. So it's saying if you want to be a dumb animal, then refuse correction in your life. But I want you to notice something else about this proverb, about correction. It starts with, and it's addressed to, whoever. And whoever means everyone and anyone. And what this tells us is that this applies to every single person. There is nobody above correction. Now, the hard part about this is that it becomes more and more difficult to get corrected when you have more power. Okay, when there's a power differential in the relationship, the people with the power get less and less correction. The people without the power get it freely. And and this means that as people of power, and every single one of us has some place we have power, because let me identify some of those people. Pastors are people of power. And we have headlines right now about people who were amazing leaders, but they didn't have people who could tell them something's wrong. You need to change something. They didn't have people warning them. They didn't have people doing all those things. We just said correction are in their life. Leaders, same thing. Business owners, who can tell you that you lacked integrity in that practice? Whistleblowers get in trouble a lot of times. They get fired for doing that very thing. If you're a parent, can your child correct you? Kids are really good at hitting the nail on the head. Just want to say that, having raised mine now. And then when they're, when they're older, it doesn't matter. They're still always younger than you, right? They're still your kids, and they have amazing things that they can help us with. And then if you become wealthier, the more money you acquire, the less accountability, 
the less people are willing to correct you. That's just a fact. In fact, when Jack Welch became the CEO of General Electric, the day before, his mentor was talking to him and told him this. He said, this is the last day you'll be told the truth. And what he was telling him, this is the last day people are going to say difficult things to you, corrective things to you. The more power one has, the less people there are to correct you. So therefore, you miss out. You can become stupid really fast. Letter D, accepting correction can bring honor and success, and disregarding it leads to poverty and shame. Proverbs 13, 18 says it quite bluntly. If you ignore criticism, you will end in poverty and disgrace. If you accept correction, you will be honored. Now I want to look at those two words, honored and poverty, because they have really interesting meanings that we might not capture. The word here for honor is to be made heavy, to be made weighty, to have your life have substance added to it. So what it's saying is, if you want to be a heavyweight in wisdom, then be a person who accepts correction. And you will be a star person with wisdom. You will be a heavyweight. You will be a person of substance. And what came to mind for me um, was my husband and this story that we encountered in our church plant, this experience we had with correction. We had a woman named Joan who was part of our church plant. And we were only 23, so I mean, we needed a lot of help. We might not have known it, though. But Joan was there to help us. She was a linguist, worked with Wycliffe Bible translators, and she liked words. That's one thing you know about that. And secondly, she liked details. And so each week she would deliver a note or a message to us about um, a spelling error in uh, the bulletin or communique that we had, or a word misspoken or grammar that was uh, not correct, or she started on the building. There's a light bulb out over and such and such. I mean, she had an eye for details, so she caught all the things that were falling through the cracks, and, and it was a wild place, so a lot of stuff was. So we got our notes each week. Now, we were driving home from church after one of those notes, and what do you think we were doing? We are going, oh, that's so wonderful to get that note. No, that's not what we were doing. We were sitting there, kind of, you know, the mutual griping system, um, sharing together on this, you know, no, we got another note from Joan, you know. What is it this time? You know, I think it was the light bulb day that kind of brought us to this conclusion. And the thing is, it was Jared who led the way. He says, you know, we could decide that this is our friend. And if we did, here's the worst thing that could happen. Our grammar could be better. We could misspeak more times. I mean, you have fewer times, rather, not more. And we could end up having less things fall through the cracks in the facility and be able to help our team more as they're helping us. And because of that, we just made a decision. We're not going to ever say or complain about this again. And we're not going to talk about this with Joan and ask her to stop. We're just going to welcome this. And as long as she's here, and she eventually went back on the mission field. So we had Joan for probably five years with us, and she was a wonderful help. Weightiness through correction. Or you can disregard correction. It says, and come to poverty and shame. And the word for poverty there, interestingly, is lightness. Lightness as in less weight, as in featherweight, as in becoming less substantial of a person when I refuse correction, when instead of accepting it. So literally, we get to decide, do you want to be a featherweight in wisdom or do you want to be a heavyweight in wisdom? And that's one of the things you want to weigh more in spite of last week's message. 
okay? So letter E, resenting correction makes us avoid wise people. I know we've all experienced this. Mockers resent correction, the proverb says, so they avoid the wise. Okay, if somebody doesn't want to be corrected, they avoid being around people who will because they don't want to hear what they have to say. Have you ever experienced that? Your friend avoids you because they've already made their decision up. They don't want to be challenged on it. So they go over here to this person who will say, oh, hip, hip, hooray for you. You're a free spirit. Do it. And then they come to you when the consequences fall. So we've all experienced this, and maybe we've all lived it as well. Have you ever avoided correction? I mean, come on, as kids, I know I did a lot with parents. So how we respond to correction matters now and later, and also how we respond to correction affects others, not just ourselves. Proverbs 10, 17 tells us one of the ways. It says, whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life. Whoever ignores correction leads others astray. So when you and I ignore correction, we model something for the people we influence in our life. And it is showing them how to go down the wrong path. It's leading them toward the, showing them how to live a life that leads toward consequences that won't be good. Whereas if we pick the right path, we show them how to go and they start watching our life and seeing the consequences and they go, I should, I should follow that person. But I want to take it a step further because the consequences of us ignoring correction impacts others in other ways. We can disappoint people we love. That happened to me this week. So Jared has been on me for months about not being erratic about keeping up my online calendar because that's when we're in the cloud. And there's many things in that calendar and many things that I put in the calendar, but there's things I don't. I just... I'm erratic, sporadic about it. He is not. He's very fantastic at it. And and that kind of fits with his personality as well. But it's just that online thing, going from hard copy to online is hard for me sometimes. So, but also I've just been ignoring that little piece of correction over and over and over again. And this last week it caught up with me because I signed up to take a meal to a, a mom with a new baby and her family. And, so, and I love that family, and I wanted to bless them. And the day before, meal train sends me the little notice that, you know, I have a meal going. I think I got this covered. Bingo. I don't need to put it on that calendar. Next day, life happens. And 6 o'clock that night, I get a text. Hey, Ann, I was just wondering maybe if uh, you could tell me when, the food, when our dinner's coming because we have an opportunity to go swimming. And you'll remember it was a really hot day. Well, you don't know which day it was, but it was only a few days ago. Really hot. And then I just want to say that she's two weeks um, since the baby was born. And kind of you need food more then than you did when you first came home, just saying, because now you're really sleep deprived. And so, I mean, I let her down. I had to tell her I not only didn't have any food for her, I didn't have any food for my own family. So I couldn't take our meal and take it to them. So I said, I could bring it from the store. I could go buy you a meal from a restaurant. No, that's okay. I've got some food in the freezer we can pull out. Freezer. Freezer meal. So she was so gracious about it. But I knew in that moment, this is what happens when you refuse correction. You let other people down. Even on something as simple as being regular with your online calendar. That's important too because it helps me love people. That's what I want to do is love people well. 
So not only does our response to correction affect others, but it also affects us. It helps us grow and develop as people. And that's good news. First of all, it helps us grow in our understanding. Proverbs 15 says this, those who disregard disregard discipline, despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. This word understanding is kind of important because the word for understanding here is refers to the whole of our soul. So our intellect, our will, and our emotions. And what it's saying is when we heed correction, we gain wisdom, we make better decisions, and we're better able to direct our emotions instead of letting them direct us which is so important. And part two of that is kind of letter B. We grow in our self-management, Proverbs 15, 5. A fool spurns a parent's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. And the word for prudence here, it's the ability to direct ourselves to do what is right, even when we don't feel like it. So each time that you and I respond to correction and heed it, follow it, let it change us, we are actually engaging in a training exercise in self-management. And that's kind of job one for being a healthy human being, is to be able to direct our lives and make the decisions that we need to make to grow. Let her see, we grow in wisdom. Proverbs 19 says this, if you punish a mocker, the simple-minded will learn a lesson. If you correct the wise, they will be all the wiser. So there's three people in this verse, and I just want to highlight their different states of being for our sake. The mocker, it says, has a closed, well, the mocker has a closed mind. He doesn't listen or learn from anyone. The simpleton has an empty mind, but he will learn from watching the consequences that the mocker goes through. But the wise person has an open mind, and the wise person accepts even painful truths, and sometimes they are painful. Letter D, correction helps us become more like Jesus, and And this is the end of the little survey. And this is in Hebrews, the 12th chapter again. The 10th verse says, For they, that is our earthly parents, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. So the summary of all that God has said on correction is this, that we should welcome it and make it our friend because it's something that will make us more like Jesus and wiser, and able to love better, and help others be influenced down the right path. And we'll experience the full life, the good life, the abundant life, the big life that Jesus talked about in John 10.10, that he said he came to give all of us. So let's tackle the roadblocks real quickly, and then we'll look at the five tips. So the book that you see on screen, and I'm holding up here, is um, the book called Thanks for the Feedback. Okay, I just love their um, little side comments here. Thanks for the feedback. Even when it's off base, unfair, poorly delivered, and frankly, you're not in the mood. This is an excellent resource, and at the end, I've listed it under resources because it is entirely about receiving feedback, not giving it, but receiving it. And so it can be very helpful. But in that book, they identify three triggers that set us off and cause the correction to be shut down for us to not really hear it. And it can set us off. And those three triggers are truth triggers, relationship triggers, and identity triggers. Let's look at that truth trigger. 
This is when you hear the correction and your first thought is, that is wrong, unfair, and unhelpful. That's never happened to anyone, right? Probably many times. And so we get stuck when that happens on, that's wrong. And that shuts down the conversation, even if I'm looking at them and smiling like this. In my heart, I'm going, na, 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 na. Yeah, that's what my mind's doing. I'm shutting down, and I certainly won't engage in the conversation in the same way. And so the thing that's important for us to recognize when we say that's wrong is that every single one of us cannot see ourselves entirely clearly. We all have a missing element. I want to just give you this visual. It's called Johari's Window. It was a visual representation of self-awareness that a couple guys came up with back in 1955, but it's been so helpful. It's still used today. We've used it a lot with church planners. Here on the right side, unknown to yourself, is the blind area. What do we call that? A blind spot, right? That's the stuff about you that you can't see, but others do. Down below, there's the unknown area. This is the things you've never experienced, and because of that, you don't know what you'd do. Like anyone who hasn't had a baby that thinks they know what they would do, okay? And then they have a baby, Now they know what they'll do, okay? So there's this unknown area. It's experiences we haven't had, and we've all had have things we've never experienced. So then you go over to the known to self. I know and others know the public area, things that are out there for everyone to see. And the private area, I know it, but others don't know it. That's the stuff in my thoughts, my heart, my intentions, the things that only we know about ourselves. But what we're interested in today is that big thing called the blind area, because in that area is where others can help us see ourselves more clearly. And that's one of the things that can come through correction, through this kind of feedback. So we need others to help us see ourselves clearly, even if it's boogers out our nose, toilet paper on the bottom of our shoe, or something stuck in our teeth. And I had braces at 37, and my husband lovingly gave me a new nickname, Salad Bar. Okay, and that was his little code word. When he'd say salad bar, I'd know, time to go rinse your mouth out again because you got a bunch of stuff stuck in there. It's kind of gross and crude, but it worked for us. Well, truth triggers. What do you do when your first thought is that's wrong and helpful and unfair? Well, right then you need to shift from that's wrong to tell me more. Okay, you just got to put a wall on it and you've got to ask the person, tell me more, stay in the conversation so you can listen for the piece of blind spot that they're showing you. So the second thing you need to do, though, is ask the person to specifically tell you where the feedback's coming from. What did you observe me doing? What's the data that you have? What conversation were we in um, that you arrived at this conclusion about me? And then you need to ask them, where is it going? Because that's their expectations, that can be their advice in it, and that can be the consequences. For instance, in a, in a job review, you want to ask them, where is this going? Because remember, correction always has a future. Otherwise, it's criticism. Correction always has a future, but sometimes you might have to draw out the future. Okay, so that's the truth trigger. Now we go to the relationship triggers. And this is where you say, I can't hear this from you. You know, I can't hear this from you. 
It's the specific person because you have issues with the person giving the correction. The thing is, the issues you have with them might not have anything to do with what they're correcting you about, but it is going to derail your ability to embrace that correction. So I just want to mention one of the areas where this can happen. This is in marriage. We get a lot of corrective feedback in marriage, okay? How many of you have pet peeves? Okay, pet peeves are correction that's been ignored from one another, okay? Basically, that's what they consist of. And pet peeves, when you get another, when you get a piece of correction from your spouse, you can throw that, whatever your pet peeve is in there, to disqualify them from talking to you about that. Well, you haven't done this, so I'm not going to do that. Now, in fact, if I was being honest, that's kind of how I did about the calendar. Because Jared's very meticulous about calendar, and I'm very meticulous about being early to wherever I'm supposed to you know, go. I like to be early to an event, et cetera. And he likes to like slide in by the skin of his uh, you know, teeth, as we would like to say. And now that, that's not necessarily wrong. Remember, correction isn't always about that. But it's like, that is hard for me. So part of my, you know, throwing up a wall to his correcting about the calendar was, when you get this fixed, buddy, I'll do that, you know. Um, but that isn't the point of it. See, that sabotages the whole benefit of the correction for me. Just keeping it real, everybody. So you want to make sure that you can set those issues aside. And we'll talk in a moment how to do this. But I wanted to mention this too. We said that corrections for everyone and anyone can correct. Anyone. And this means when there's a power differential that we can have a relationship trigger go off. This is when your child corrects you or a subordinate corrects a boss or a player corrects a coach or a student corrects a teacher Or a younger person corrects an older person. There's even instructions on that in Scripture, by the way, on how you're supposed to go about it. But just saying, there's a power differential there, and that can set off a relationship trigger right there. They, Who are they to do this, to say this to me? And a host of other thoughts. And so what you need to do is detangle the what from the who. Detangle the what from the who. So set aside the who and the issues you have with the who, and instead just look at the what, because that's where the real benefit's going to come. And then you make a time to engage on those issues you have at another time. Because if you try to do it all at once, it's going to be a real mess, and you're not going to be able to embrace the correction. So detangle the what from the who for relationship triggers. Third roadblock is identity triggers. And this is what happens when the person's feedback challenges the story you tell yourself about who you are and what your future looks like. Maybe you had somebody do that, tell you something about yourself that doesn't fit with how you see yourself and with where you think you're going. Well, the thing about identity triggers is interesting. Our response, we can respond one of two ways. Researchers at Stanford University, discovered that people do respond in two different ways. One is to have a fixed mindset about their personal traits. And that's this, that I am who I am, and that's all I'll ever be. That my traits are fixed, 
And it's impossible for me to become anything else. This is just who I am. Maybe you've heard somebody actually say that. In fact, after first service, I had a woman come up and identify herself as that. Now, here's the sad part of having a fixed mindset. It means that every time you get correction, it's delivered. There's no way that it can be anything but a judgment. Do you see that? Because it's a final judgment. And therefore, it will always come across harsh to you. It will always feel like the gavel coming down. Because there's no hope. There's no being changed from glory to glory. There's no transformation hope there. And we know that's not true. The other group of people have a growth mindset, and they see themselves as ever-growing, ever-learning, and they're being transformed. And we know that God's goal for us is that we be transformed. He's given every person, regardless of whether they know him yet or not, his imago Dei. So inside of us is the ability to be changed. And God is the one at work using everything in our lives to work out his image inside of us. And it's so glorious when you really have that hope, when you really believe that that can happen. But if you don't, it's a really dismal experience. And just this last week, we got a letter. This is to give hope to somebody with a fixed mindset. We got a letter from a guy. He said, Dear Pastor, 40 years ago, I stole a battery out of one of your church vans. I wasn't a Christian. I am now. Here's $100 to reimburse you for it. From a Jesus-forgiven Christ follower. That's how he signed it. That was so cool. Why were we excited about the $100? Well, I mean, that's great that he paid. I was excited for him. Transformation happens. And it's important that we have that mindset, that we have a growth mindset instead of this fixed mindset. And I just want to say that's the answer for this identity trigger shift from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. And if that's something you struggle with, God and a mentor can help you with that, both directions, and be happy to talk with you about that sometime, because that's something that takes time. But the point of these triggers is that they're roadblocks to keep us from humbly and skillfully staying in the conversation with the person who's trying to share this correction with us. And in order to do that, we have to do job number one for healthy human beings, which is acknowledge and understand who we are, and accept what's going on inside of us and direct that. Direct our response in healthy ways instead of reacting to what the person is saying to us in the moment. You ready for the tips? Five tips for correction and for embracing correction. First one is listen first. No surprise here. I love this saying, when wiser men are talking, let your ears hang down and listen. Proverbs 18.13 says it this way, a little stronger. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. So I had to do performance reviews for the five employees under my leadership. And they had to happen every six months. And we had a form. We had a process to do it in. And I was getting ready for one with a great colleague, Nancy. And, I mean, this was going to be the two thumbs up performance review, because she was a star performer in every way. I literally had no correction or anything for her. So I shared with her. I went through the process, and we talked back and forth. And it was going well, but I thought, wow, she should, I, she's not showing that she feels really good. And so I thought, I'm going to ask her the question I like to ask at the end. And I always ask, 
Um, so is there something I can do to help you be more successful? Is there something I can do that will make life easier for you and you're doing your role as your leader? And she had something ready on her tongue. She said, well, Anne, with you, there's always a but, as in B-U-T. Well, I was surprised, honestly, but I also, like I did, I wasn't quite sure what that meant yet. So I said, the next step, seek clarification for what you've heard. Seek first to understand. So I said, what do you mean that with me, there's always a but? And she told me, she said, you know, Ann, you congratulate me, you tell me the things I've done well and all of that, and then you give me something else to do, a new challenge, uh, something else. And she said, how that makes me feel is that I can never do enough, that it's never going to be enough because you congratulate me, but there's always something else to come to next. And I had to go to step number three. Accept the truth in it, whatever percentage that might be. Look for God's direction in it. Lean in and learn from what she's telling you. And the thing I had to do is avoid judgment because that contaminates our ability to accept the feedback on the basis of its content, which we just talked about. That's one of the ways that we form a roadblock and stop the conversation. But in this case, I could totally see this because I actually thought what I was doing was encouraging her. You did that so well, how about trying this? See, it really doesn't matter what I thought I was doing or what I intended. What I learned is I needed to change what I did for her because I was actually discouraging her instead of encouraging her. And so I got to do number four. Thank the person for having the courage to share with you. There's a power differential. Nancy took a risk. She shared something that was corrective with me instead of a, oh, Ann, you're just a great boss, and I love having you, yada, 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 you know, which some people would do, just tell people what they want to hear so that I don't get in any more trouble in the future. But she didn't, and so I praised her for that. But I knew that I was not done with this yet, which takes us to number five, close with commitment. Okay, what will you do in response to this correction? And let's just stop for a moment and say, if your commitment is to pray about it, let's talk about that, okay? Because our experience with uh, Christians across our years is this, that we use prayer as an excuse not to deal with something. I'm going to pray about it. That's good. Sometimes you need to wrestle with something a little longer in order to be ready for that good conversation about what you're going to do. So this is my recommendation to you. Offer a future date that you will get together and continue the conversation and share what you discovered as you prayed about it. Otherwise, it becomes a convenient excuse for doing nothing, just quite honestly. So what Nancy and I agreed to is I had a, ba- I had a bad habit, and habits don't change easy, and I wouldn't always be aware of when I was doing it. So we worked out a signal right there, the C word. Yep, just do her hand, you know, like this. And, you know, it's kind of like you're doing it again. And I would jump, I would stop then, jumping from congratulations to a new challenge. And instead, I'd just stop, reaffirm what I loved and what had been done so well. And then I'd wait for another time to introduce the new challenge. And that would be more meaningful for my friend and colleague. So listen first. Seek clarification for what you heard, accept the truth in it, and thank the person. Then close with your commitment. What are you going to do with this anyway? 
So we ask that same question today. Maybe you've been asking it since last week when Jared did his eat, move, sleep. I certainly heard a lot of fun stories out in the marketplace as I ran into people buying Swedish fish and other things. They were like, I'm only buying one box because of the message. (laughs) I just got a real kick out of that. It was really fun. But it's fun to see how people were asking, what's my next best step? That's what we're talking about. I'm so glad Jesus doesn't come and like dump a dump load on us. I might have just done that today, but that's not what he's doing. He's talking to you about one thing. What's he emphasizing to you? What's he saying to you as I've talked I want to show you this image. This is a sculpture at the Lego art sculpture exhibit at OMSI from about 18 months ago. And I love this sculpture and took a picture of it because it's called, the sculptor called it disintegration. And he said, every day the winds of life nibble away at who we are. And I thought this was such a good picture of it, but this is the thing. The culture nibbles away at who we are, but correction does quite the opposite. What God was trying to tell us through his word today is that instead of disintegration through correction, being torn down, being ripped apart, he's actually putting us back together the way he designed us to be. So instead of the pieces moving out, he's shaping us. He's making us into the people he actually wanted us to be. But it's easy to feel like when you're in the middle of correction that you're being nibbled at maybe even a big bite taken. And this is the thing. You'll notice I put three resources down there. Both of these books are good. This book's about both giving and receiving feedback. But I put down the Bible. My mom, or I, I learned to call this the daha. But I'm not going to leave it as a daha. I wanted to be explicit about it. Because here's the deal. You and I need God's help. We need God's help for our minds to be renewed on a regular basis about who we are. Because it's true, we live in a world that's nibbling away at us. And as it does that, unless we're letting God renew us and renew our sense of who we are, but more than that, that we are dearly loved. And that our performance isn't going to win us anything extra because we have been saved by grace. We sang that amazing song, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. And in it was the whole gospel. And the good news of Jesus is this, that none of us could ever measure up, but Jesus did it for us. He paid the price. And because of that, every single one of us have had our sins forgiven, past, present, and future. And he rose from the dead to show that he is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one who can forgive us, the one who can build you up, who can put your life back together, who can integrate you rather than disintegrate you. And I just wanted to encourage you to let that be your overriding response this week. You know, Spending time with Jesus isn't about checking something off the list or getting a gold star because there aren't any in the kingdom. He loves us already. We're not earning anything. It's about spending time with the one who loves you more than anyone else, the one who wants you to be whole and thrive and succeed more than anyone else. And that's my prayer for you as we look at correction. It's not the end game. It's just the journey. But it is a journey to wholeness. Can I pray for you? Jesus, thank you so much that you love us with an unfailing love. 
and that you've taken care of our foibles, Lord, of our sins, of our inability sometimes to really take what people have to say to us. We confess that to you, Lord. We're not always good at correction. But today, Lord, we're asking you to grow us in it. Show us our next best step. And in the middle of that, Lord, I pray that every person here would have an encounter with your love this week, an encounter with who you say they are, that they are your dearly loved child, that they're completely accepted in Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.